And Wayne is going to be speaking to us from John chapter 6. And I'm going to read a selection of verses, all right? It's not the whole chapter, it's a big chapter. Um, so you might just want to have your Bible open, but listen as I read. So I'm just going to read a few verses and then pretty much I think the rest of it comes primarily from 50, verses 53 to 69. But first of all, verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. So this is just after the feeding of the 5,000. Not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Verse 36. Again, Jesus replied to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Verse 53, So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you very much, Julie. It's been so good to hear all the testimonies of people this morning. Just a declaration of what God's doing. God is always at work in the world in ways that we can see and ways that we can't see. And and the Bible's very clear about this, that God never abandoned the world, that he's always at work in the world. And even just listening to the the testimonies and people being stirred about ideas and just... 
I want to do this and I'm looking for a church like this. That's the work of God. God does that. God stirs up in all of our hearts. We are continuing this series on on Meet Jesus and we've been looking through uh, the biography written by John, one of Jesus' first uh, disciples who, who followed him very closely. He's known as a disciple that Jesus loved. He's known as a man who reclined on uh, next to Jesus at the Last Supper, very well acquainted with Jesus. And John chapter 6 covers two days in Jesus' life. Now, I don't know if you've ever had uh, two days that were kind of polar opposites. Anyone ever had two days that were kind of polar opposites? One day full of joy, amazing, inspiring, and the next day is just a complete disaster. And you're like, why did I get out of bed this morning? Okay, that's pretty much describes, not, not quite, but it kind of describes what Jesus had going on on these two days that John 6 covers. So let's start with day one. So day one, Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children with five bread rolls and two small fish. And there are 12 baskets of leftovers that are picked up at the end. Wouldn't you say that's a good day? If you could do that, go to your pantry, pull out a few bread rolls and a couple of fish and feed the whole street plus more. And the people were so excited about this. You can imagine a crowd of people fed like that. That's, that's truly in the miraculous category. And the, and the people, they want to make Jesus king. Because like, if you've got a king that can do this stuff, you've got a king that can do anything. And so they want to make Jesus king. And what Jesus does is somehow he manages to just slip away in the crowd and he goes up to the top of the hills to be by himself, which is something that he did regularly. And we know that he went to do that to pray. So what happens is the crowd eventually disperses as the evening comes And uh, Jesus' disciples, they're waiting on the shore of the lake for Jesus to come. He's not coming. Nightfall is coming. So they think we better get in the boat and go back to the other side of the lake, which is where they were based in Capernaum. So they get in the boat. They head there. uh, The wind gets stronger. The waves get higher. They're about five kilometers from the shoreline. And Jesus comes walking on the water towards them. So in the middle of a storm... Jesus comes just casually strolling across the Sea of Galilee as you do when you're the Son of God. He's just walking, just out for a walk. He's been up in the mountains, now he's just walking back home, walking across the lake. And they're terrified, of course. None of us have ever seen a man walk across the the water, have we? I've had a go at it a few times. How many of you have had a go at that? You're like, yeah, you have a go at it. You think... And it's not gone well so far. And Jesus calls out to them because they're terrified. This is what John tells us. And he says to them, don't be afraid. I am here. I just think that's a fantastic phrase. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm with you. And he gets in the boat with them. And John says they were immediately where they needed to be on the other side of the lake. So that's day one. So the next day, the crowd, they get up and they begin to search for Jesus. They're still on the other side of the lake. 
They realise somehow, somehow during the night he's crossed over to, to the other side of the lake. So they hightail it across there in as many boats and things that they can get, hoping that Jesus will do something else to amaze them. Because remember what happened the day before? Five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 people. So it's like, what's he going to do today to amaze us? Wow. Now, what he does instead is he says, I'm not performing anything today. I'm not performing for you. You've come because I did the food thing for you. But actually, what you really need is me. This is what the core of his saying. What you really need is me. But you don't understand that. You need to be seeking and putting your energy into things that last for eternal eternity. And I'm the one that can give you that. And he makes these statements, and Julie read most of them to us. I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. These are staggering statements, even as you're listening to them. Some, they're, they're almost incomprehensible. You have to think about, hang on, what on earth is he saying? I'm the true bread that's come down from heaven. I'm the heavenly man. I'm the heavenly bread. You need to eat me. You need to drink me to have eternal life, to be satisfied. And one of the obvious questions is, Jesus promoting cannibalism? And the answer is clearly no. But he's making comparative statements. He's saying in the same way that in those, in those days, and for most of us today, most of us eat bread once a day, even if it's gluten-free. We, we, bread is a staple. Bread is something that, that is used around the world. People make it in all different shapes and sizes and forms in pretty much every nation in the world that I'm aware of. They make bread of some sort. It's a staple part of life. And what Jesus is saying is, you, you need me in your life on a daily basis as much as you need bread. But it's, it's me. It's not the stuff I do for you. It's me, actually, that you need to be satisfied with me, knowing me, being close to me, having me with you. And the, John tells us that the people weren't happy about this. They really wanted another show. They really wanted Jesus to perform something and do something else to amaze them. But Jesus now is disappointing them and offending them and they're leaving. And this morning I want to put out a couple of questions for everybody. The first question is this. Are you following Jesus because he gives you what you want? or because you've found him to be the true bread from heaven and the source of life. You're following him because he's given you good stuff, he's answering your prayers, your life is amazing, it's all working wonderfully. Or are you following Jesus because you really desire him, whether you get the stuff you think you're entitled to or not? And the second question is, is for people who are on a journey and wanting to learn out, learn things and this includes all the teenagers in the room it's, it includes us all but it's it's teenagers I want to speak to even teenagers who go to Fremantle Christian College or another Christian school is this question 
Have you examined and investigated Jesus for yourself? Have you, have you come to the place where, you, where you've investigated who he is? One of the things that I, I, I grew up um, following Jesus, I was actually baptised as a teenager, but over the course of my life, I've met people that were very hostile towards Jesus and they often posed uh, very militant questions to me. Sometimes I could answer them and sometimes I couldn't. But what I found was that there was always answers available. And I want to encourage the students that are in high school and investigating and those who are going to university as well. You'll meet intelligent, articulate people that will mount strong arguments sometimes that sound plausible against Jesus. But I just want to say to you, they're not new. These things are not new. They've been going around for centuries and there are answers available. So with these two questions, are you following Jesus because he gives you what you want or because you've experienced him as the bread of life? And the other question, have you examined and investigated Jesus and the claims that he made about himself and, and seen, made a decision for yourself, not based on what someone else said, not based on even a negative experience in a church, but Jesus for himself? I want to give you a few examples of some people who have made, done the work. And these are, these are so you, this gives you some, if you like, some places you can go and look if you want to go and look. Ross Clifford's a prominent lawyer in New South Wales and he published a book called Leading Lawyers' Case for the Resurrection. And the chapters in this book are written by some of the world's distinguished lawyers, judges and professors of law. And what they do in the book is they lay it out from a legal perspective of the case for the evidence and why they came to believe and have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. One of the things about the resurrection of Jesus is the thing that people attack the most because if you take away the resurrection, you pretty much dis dismantle the whole of the Christian framework because the claim is that Jesus did die, that's historical fact, but that Jesus was resurrected and ascended and he is the Lord of heaven and earth. So if you can dismantle the resurrection, you disempower Christianity. So these people have looked at it from a legal perspective that would hold up in a court of law. It's a great book I recommend it to us. Irish atheist C.S. Lewis, who is the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, also wrote a great book called Mere Christianity. And that book sold millions of copies worldwide. And in that book he said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't expect, accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis said, that's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Lewis said you must make your choice. Either, that, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
but let's not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Powerful words from a man who described himself as the most reluctant convert. And just this week I learnt that a movie has been made with exactly that title, The Most Reluctant Convert, and it's not been released in Australia yet, but it's a movie of C.S. Lewis's life and his journey and how he became, he moved from being an atheist to becoming a follower of Jesus as Lord. Father and son team, uh, Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell compiled an 800-page work called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Life-Changing Truth for a Skeptical World. Uh, if you, want, if you want details, this 800-page volume is worth getting. It, aren't, it goes through very systematically every issue, every question raised and points to objective evidence for it. Uh, you can find out more from seanmcdowell.org. Uh, Jay Warner Wallace is a former cold case detective. He became a Christian at the age of 35 and he began the process by applying the same skills that he used in solving cold cases, uh, homicide cases in the United States of America, to investigate the life of Jesus. He used that same forensic uh, approach. Now, his material is available at coldcasechristianity.com and he's also written books for children as well. So great resources, mums and dads, to buy, to have for your kids as they're growing up helping them with these within a forensic approach. So any budding scientists out there, uh, you want to get hold of coldcasechristianity.com, those books by J. Warner Wallace. Pakistani man Nabil Qureshi in his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, describes his dramatic journey from Islam to Christianity. Brilliant book, well-written this man was being trained to be an evangelist for Islam. And in, the court, he, and in high school, he could demolish all those things that Christian students said to him. And he, he loved it. And then he went to university and he met a Christian who could answer him. And, his, and who was able to unpack the flaws in his arguments... And no one else had been able to do that. It sent him into a spin of investigation where he came to conclude Jesus is who the Bible claims he'd, him to be and not as he'd been taught about Jesus as a Muslim. Closer to home, we've got Greg Sheridan, the Australian newspaper's foreign editor. His book was published this year, Christians, The Urgent Case for Jesus in Our World. And it became a bestseller in several weeks after it was published. He makes the case in his book for the historical reliability of the New Testament and he explores the lives of early Christians as well as contemporary Christians. A great book. encourage you to look at all these things. So these are some examples that I want you to say that People who investigated Jesus for who he is actually find the truth that he is who he claims to be. But the ultimate pressure test for all of us is when our life's at stake. That's the ultimate pressure test of whether we have followed Jesus 
because he gave us stuff we liked or whether we've actually experienced him as that one who fills our life with meaning because he's the bread of life. When the Roman Empire ruled the world, the the Christians and the Jews were referred to as atheists because they believed in only one God. Interesting, isn't it? In the Roman world, if you're a Christian, you're an atheist because you only believe in one God. How pitiful is that? We've got a whole pantheon of gods. You've just got one, like measly. What, what can your God do? We've got a whole pantheon that, that run the show. Christians were killed because they refused to worship Caesar. Killed and tortured. This is all well documented in history. And historical records confirm that thousands of Christians were thrown to the lions and the gladiators in Rome's Colosseum as well as other places and that the crowds would cheer as they watched Christians being dismembered and eaten. In 155 CE, Polycarp was the Bishop of Smyrna, which is now in Izmir in Turkey. Polycarp is a wonderful member Uh, historical member of the Christian family. He's known as someone who was a disciple of John who wrote John's gospel. He's only one generation removed from the followers of Jesus, from Jesus himself, if you like, because he sat and learned about Jesus at the feet of John. He was 86 years old and he was greatly loved and respected man. And the Roman proconsul of Smyrna was a man named Herod. It's interesting. Some of you recognize Herod from the time of Jesus. It's not that Herod. It's a different Herod, obviously. It's not a king, but the proconsul for the Roman emperor. He sent soldiers to arrest Polycarp. It took them a while to find him as his friends had transported him secretly out of the city. But eventually they tracked him down and they burst into the home where he was staying to arrest this man. They didn't know what he looked like. They didn't know anything. They'd just been, you need to hunt down and you need to bring Polycarp to me, was the orders they were given. They burst in. Polycarp was up in the mezzanine floor of this little farmhouse. He calmly came down from the hiding place and spoke with them. And they were amazed at his age and his steadfastness. And some of them began to wonder, why on earth have we been sent to capture this lovely old man? And Polycarp insisted that they have some food and some drink and they would sit down and eat that so that he could pray uninterrupted for one hour. I find that really confronting myself personally. Like people have come to arrest me and take me away and I'm going, would you please have some food? And I'd just like to go over here and pray for an hour before you take me away into custody. And and amazingly, they did allow him to do that. In fact, it says, the eyewitness accounts say that he stood and prayed so full of the grace of God that he could not stop for two hours. And the soldiers sat there eating, drinking and listening to his prayers. The men were astounded and many of them regretted coming to arrest such a godly and venerable old man. But they'd come to do their job. And so when he finished praying, they put him on a donkey and they took him into the city. And as Polycarp was taken into the arena, a voice came to him from heaven and said, Be strong, Polycarp, play the man. No one saw who had spoken, 
But our brothers who were there heard the voice. When the bloodthirsty crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, they let out a ferocious roar. The proconsul tried to persuade him to deny Jesus. He said to him, have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheists. Reproach Christ and I'll set you free. And Polycarp remained unmoved and he loudly declared, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? The proconsul continued and said to him, I've got wild animals here. I'll throw you to them if you do not repent. And Polycarp replied, call them. It's unthinkable for me to repent from what is good and to turn to what is evil. And the proconsul said, if you despise the animals, I'll have you burned. And Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. And the guards tied him to the stake. And Polycarp looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you. Along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Amen. The fire was lit and blazed furiously, and the crowd cheered. And something unexpected happened. The fire shaped itself into the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship when filled with the wind and formed a circle around the body of Polycarp. And he did not burn. Instead of smelling burning flesh, the people smelt fresh bread and spices. And eventually the proconsul commanded a soldier to pierce Polycarp's heart. And a man reached through the flames and did just that. And Polycarp died. Polycarp faced a life and death choice. Deny Jesus Christ and declare Caesar as Lord and you would live. And his reply in the face of such powerful intimidation is phenomenal. 86 years have I served him and he's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? Thousands of Christians are facing similar threats today. Many of you will remember that in 2015, 21 Coptic Christians were beheaded on a beach in Libya by Islamic State because they would not deny Christ. Today, Christians are mocked, tortured and martyred for believing things like Jesus is the only way to God, that God made only two genders, male and female, 
that believing sexual activity is exclusive for marriage and that marriage is between one man and one woman. In John 6, on that day in Capernaum, many turned away and deserted Jesus. And Jesus said to the twelve, are you going to leave as well? And Peter's answer is for them all when he said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. I leave you with these two questions. Are you following Jesus because you've realized he alone has the words of eternal life? Yes, you like the good stuff he gives you, but if you don't get that and you've got him, you realize you've got the bread of life, you've got everything you need. And the other question for all of you is, have you, have you investigated and examined what Jesus did and the claims that he made about himself? Have you done the work that's been done with people like, people like Ross Clifford and C.S. Lewis and Nabil Qureshi and others? Have you done that for yourself so that you, you are convinced without a shadow of a doubt and you could stand like Polycarp? You might not live to be 86 like Polycarp, but you could say, I know him. I'm not denying him. Like the Coptic brothers on the beach in Libya. People holding a knife to your head saying, deny Christ and you'll live. So how can I deny the one who has given me life? And John concludes his gospel with these words by saying, These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Amen. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, for all of us who are hearing these words today, I'm asking Just simply that you put Jesus on display as he is in all of our lives. That you will give us a hunger for him that's greater than all the other hungers in our lives. That we'll pursue knowing him as he really is. That if we've taken on offenses, if people have said and done things, that have offended us, that we'll look and realize that that's not Jesus. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to make Jesus that one who is the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven, and that by feeding our lives on him, we're satisfied. And so that we will become a people like Peter was able to say on that day, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We know and believe you are the Holy One of God, Jesus. That we'll be like Polycarp and say, I've loved him all these years. I've known him. How can I deny him? Jesus, you alone know the future of each of our lives. You know the future. 
that, that the world is moving towards. Ultimately, it's about you returning. It's about you coming through the clouds in glory and establishing your eternal kingdom of truth and righteousness on the earth. But we know that in the meantime, will be a time of great trouble and unrest. And there will be many more martyrs across the earth. And my prayer, Jesus, is that if any of us in this room are to be found among them, that you will give us the grace to be faithful to you, even in the face of death, because we know you and we love you. And our lives are rooted and grounded in your love. And we're not afraid of people who can just kill the body. We're looking forward to your eternal, our eternal home with you. So strengthen us, Jesus, I pray, to live for you. I'm praying for all the high school students and all of the primary school students the ones that gave testimony today and others that have done it in the past and will do it in the future, that you'll enable them to be strong and confident when their peer group is mocking and ridiculing, when their peer group is leading them astray. You'll help them to stand strong focused on you even if they get even if they lose friends over it but Jesus I'm also praying for all the adults as well that you will help us to be faithful to you in our own workplaces and social networks you'll help us to be ones who remain faithful to you just as you remain faithful to us through all the circumstances and situations of life. That we'll be ones who will be faithful to you. In our words and in our behaviour. And so Lord, as we go from this place today, I ask you to send us in the strength and the might of the Spirit of God to be faithful witnesses for Jesus everywhere we go. Amen.